Welcome to Steelcast. Transmission of the coronavirus was first recorded in the UK on the 28th of February. By the 1st of March, there were confirmed cases in all four home union countries. On the 11th of March, the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. It's now almost two months since the lockdown was announced in the UK on the 23rd of March. Since then, almost every aspect of public and business life has changed. It was on the 20th of March that Tata Steel reported its first confirmed case of the virus in the UK. And at its peak, on the 27th of March, many hundreds of people across Tata Steel sites in the UK were off work self-isolating. On the 7th of April, tragically, the company shared news of a first COVID-related death as an engineering colleague in Port Albert, John Bennett, known to his friends as Joe, succumbed to the illness. But there have also been stories of miraculous recoveries from intensive care units, and many people who have had symptoms or been confirmed cases have since returned to work safely. And while the number of cases and people self-isolating has been coming down consistently for the last seven weeks, business has been stubbornly slow in recovering, with the automotive sector particularly hard hit. Many lines have been paused and the company currently has over 2,000 people on furlough. On these podcasts, we've heard how the virus has impacted every Tata Steel site across the UK. And we've heard how different parts of the business have reacted to the situation. Procurement rising to the challenge of sourcing PPE and janitorial supplies and workers keeping the plant going while demonstrating their support for frontline care workers through videos, songs and poems. What we haven't spoken about so far is what has been going on behind the scenes. Because while all that is in view seems calmed, planned and in control, today we're hoping to find out if there was some furious paddling under the water. Joining me on today's podcast is Ian Russon. Ian is Tata Steel Europe's Head of Governance for Safety, Health and Environment. And right at the start was tasked with coordinating a daily meeting of all interested parties from within the company. Pretty much every part of the business was represented. Ian, welcome to today's podcast. Thanks, Tim. Now, my records show me that your first, we might call it a cross-party conference, uh, was on the 4th of March. That seems a long time ago. Uh, and with all those people involved, you know, has that been like herding cats, Ian? Uh, well, I'd like to say yes, but not not really. Um, I think uh, the good thing is, is that about all the people that are across Tata Steel is that um, we have lots of people who know their jobs very well and uh, they're very keen. And, and you can trust them to get on and do what's required. Um, and as you say, there's nothing unites uh, a team or, or a company when you've got a common a common enemy. And uh, certainly every person from that was involved in the group uh, from around the, uh, the various countries that we operate uh, contributed and uh, were very committed and proactive in, uh, in the approach that we've taken. Yeah, because it really did need to be action oriented, but it also needed to to have some sort of calmness and direction so that sort of a relatively common approach could be taken across the company. So, so, you know, that that, that governance group, if we can call it that, what was the initial purpose of setting that up, Ian? Well, it it quickly came apparent um, that the whole company would be affected. Um, We initially sort of got um, awareness of, of the whole crisis from our offices in China and then in Singapore um when it all first started um and then it became apparent very quickly that uh, it was like a a wave coming towards us uh with different uh, impacts in different countries at different times so the purpose of the, the group really was to try and give some coordination across all the different boundaries we're operating to so that we had a single forum where all the stakeholders could come together 
to understand what our policies or our policies should be um, and make sure that was well communicated to everybody when they're on particular areas and their particular plants. Yeah, because one of the things that uh, that people might forget, you know, living in their own little worlds is that we are a, a global organisation and, you know, different employees, different sites will be under different legislative forms and being affected in different ways. So that was something else that, that must have been quite difficult to manage. It, it was because people were looking for, for guidance or advice. Um, and every day one country would say that you can't travel to this country or they would put out a notice saying we're going to restrict this. And it was how to keep on top of that. So we developed a, a, like a country by country matrix. Uh, which we kept up to date so people could reference that on a SharePoint site that we developed. Yeah, People could see what their particular impact on their particular country was. Um, and in the early days, it was all very different. At some point, we got to a, more of a harmony of, of, of sort of common rules across Europe, everything the same. Um, um, but it, on a, when it first started, it was quite frantic to make sure that we were trying to give the right advice and recognising that in each of our different countries we operate to, the, the government advice was slightly different. Yeah, and although you're a, a you know, government's lead for health, safety and environment, that group was far from just being health, health and safety people, wasn't it? What sort of people joined that group representing what parts of the organisation? Uh, well, it, it wouldn't have worked if it was just health and safety people. Um, it, it needed to involve all of the, um, uh, of the company. So we had people like yourself from, from uh, communications, uh, we had uh, HR professionals, procurement, um, we had logistics people involved looking at our lorries and shipping because uh, we got some very early questions around what we do around our shipping that you may not have thought of necess necessarily as a big issue. Mm. Uh, uh, visiting our customers, so commercial was a key, a key part of that. Um, and we had procurement from a point of view of raw material supply. Um, as well as obviously looking at the mask situation. So it was a, a, a complete spread of people. And then we had obviously had representations operationally. So we'd have people from downstream distribution, MLE, uh, Strip UK. So it was, it was quite a comprehensive uh, cross-section of the whole of the organisation, I would say. Yeah, and, and, and interestingly, you know, because I was part of that group, you know, when you look back on those early days, the topics changed quite quickly. You know, in the, in the early days, uh, Ian, one of the key topics we talked about was was IT. You know, explain to us a bit about what the issues in the early days were around that. Well, the, 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 very quickly, the governments uh, decided that uh, if you could work from home, you should work from home or to maximise home working. Um, so so we, we recognised that was going to come. And so we pro we predicted that. And so we'd held a initially held a trial for uh, how many people could actually work from home because people might not be familiar, but we have so many licenses that we can then log on to our internal systems. And so we held a trial, like a work from home day. Um, and that really flushed out some of the uh, issues that we had with people logging on, uh, having to use their own equipment. And the, and the guys from, from GIS did a fantastic job in increasing the number of licenses available, uh, giving out guidance on the different technologies that we're using, like Teams, which people might not have been familiar with before, before they started working from home. Um, and so early days, it was all about IT and there was grumblings and, and people saying they couldn't log on and things like that. But quite quickly, all those issues were, were resolved. And once the government actually then said everybody should be working from home where they can, um, we had all those things in place and everybody could work quite effectively from an IT perspective from home. And that was that was a, a great success, I think. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about the pilot day when I, people were asked to go go home for the day and log in, and uh, you know the issues of you know those people who needed to use SAP system, whether they're in finance or procurement, couldn't access it because those people who didn't were having to join the network and so forth. It got quite complex, but as you said, it actually resolved itself very quickly. And I guess more recently, we've almost forgotten about it because it's been solved so well. But uh, you know, if you look at this aspect, Ian, about uh, a policy for the company operating in multiple languages, multiple uh, legislatures and so forth. How well has this group been able to steer that policy for the company and make sure you know everybody's lined up in the same direction? Because it, it was quite a small group to start with, I think I recall. Yeah, so so to start with, maybe about seven, seven or eight people, but um, we ended up getting over 30, 35 people on the call on a regular basis, and we still yeah. have quite a high number of people on there there today. And and really, the key thing was about linking also with the site teams that have been set up around uh, around this to, mm. to manage the crisis. And so I think I think we were we did we did a quite a good job in it being able to actually develop the policy discuss it with the right people agree the approach and then through some very effective communication at a corporate level but then also at a site level uh, we were able then to roll out those those particular policies i mean the hardest thing i think was that um it was easy enough to set a policy where obviously people have to implement that and 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 one you know population of people we shouldn't forget about was it was all about those people working from home but a lot of our people were actually having to remain on site and keeping our, right. our keeping us in business yeah um and they're having to go into work on a day-to-day -day basis and some of the policies we were setting was there to try and help to keep them safe um, but they had to put that those those enact those policies if you like in a practical way yeah, because a huge amount of the focus, you know, we talked about the IT issues at, at the beginning, but a huge amount of the focus, I think, over the last couple of months has been about our people. And as you rightly say, you know, there were people on site, there were people at home, there were people being furloughed, there were people self-isolating, there were people vulnerable. Uh, there were activities that were going on locally. And I guess this this forum tried to create somewhere where people could start to share those ideas. But but you you had to be sort of a central policy guidance about saying you know, what we should follow and what we shouldn't and how we should share that. So yeah, and, and, and that's what we tried to that's what we tried to do. So um, when the government came out with a new policy or we tried to influence a government policy like we tried to do with the, uh, the back to work guidance that they issued, uh, which we use some of our great practices that the guys have developed on the on the on the lines as examples of how we've implemented some of those policies to demonstrate that we could work safely. Um, and that's again has been uh, very successful, I think. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily all about uh, everybody doing the same, was it? So I know, for example, some plants uh, introduced temperature checking on the gates, uh, and then some people didn't. Yeah, you know, it wasn't about, like I say, it wasn't about everyone doing exactly the same thing, was it? You know, how did that feel? No. Uh, well, I think I think we have to be, I think, in the new buzzword, agile. I guess. Yeah. Um, in, in our in our approach um, and be very clear in, in what we were trying to do but also where where sites you know for reassurance purposes for example want to put temperature checks in um, they they knew what was best for their their people to give them that reassurance it wasn't really up to a, a central team to say no you can't do that um, and therefore we had to be flexible in that approach because at the end of the day we were all trying to do the same thing which was to keep our people safe and healthy and reassured that uh, what we were doing was the right things. Yeah, and I guess the other audience we shouldn't forget in this is uh, our contractor partners. And, and although they weren't directly present uh, on the call, uh, they were often the topic of conversation because uh, 
they are sometimes ever present on our sites. You know, uh, how do you think it's gone in terms of keeping our contractors aligned with what we're doing? I think I think from the call, obviously the the, the representation from from procurement and and the operations people, they had a, played a key role really in ensuring that information was cascaded to our key contractor partners, that there was regular dialogue uh, with those guys, um, to make sure that that they were part of the team and made sure that they were um, uh, considered in all of the things that were being done. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the contract companies have worked on our sites for many years. And the people that worked on our site for many years, and some of them are, you know, effectively our employees uh, from that perspective. Um, and so it's important that they were kept in the in the in the loop, and that's what the local guys did, I think, very well. Yeah. Now, you know, understandably, lots of the agenda of these meetings was was focused on the process. You know, how do we keep the business running? But you know, how aware were you, and do you think other members of the group that some of the decisions that will be taken in that group? would really affect individuals lives their work lives their home lives their family lives you know this is a very much a people thing as much as a process thing uh, i would say it was utmost in our, our our minds if i'm honest you know what we're trying to do is the is the right thing for for the people so that um, all our employees or the contract employees are safe and kept safe and and, and healthy mm. uh, it's 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 um, you try and make the right decisions. Uh, you're not saying that all the decisions we made were the right ones, but they were done with the right intention. Yeah. Um, see, what we're trying to do is, as well as keep people safe, we're trying to make sure we have practical approaches so that the business can continue to uh, continue to operate. Yeah, and it's uh, it continues to be a difficult thing, doesn't it? With you know people in work uh, might have some anxiety about coming in and how they can social distance and those. Working from home might worry about isolation, and those being furloughed have got their own concerns about being away from the workplace. So it really is a is a is a people-oriented decision. But I guess at the end of the day, Ian, you know, one of the best things you can you, this group should take responsibility for is is to keep the business going so that people do have a, a, a job to come back for. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, that's that's what we're trying to do, and um, and obviously we've still got a, a lot of other things to do now in in order of how do we return people back to the workplace safely, and so we've the first phase has all been about you know protecting people's health and putting the right things in place while this crisis is and this pandemic has been going on, and then it's how then do we get returned back to what some people are now call a new normal. And yeah. Operate then going forward, yeah. Uh, the new uh, way of uh, new ways that we're looking to work. Yeah, and it's a topic I'd like to come on to in, in a minute because uh, it's it's uh, the conversation of the day, really, isn't it? Everyone's talking about what happens next and how do we get everything to work. But you know, people say you know we should learn from history, and you know, although it's only a couple of months, I'm sure that you will have seen uh, some great examples of 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 how people have changed and adapted and worked through. Uh, uh, this uh, difficult circumstances in the last c- couple of months that we can use to to build what the picture looks like forward. I guess if you look back here and take a breath and lift lift your eyes up for a moment and look back at the last couple of months, what are the things that you think have been the things that the company's done most successfully in the in the two months? Uh, I, I think I think it's shown that we've been. I mentioned it before. I think we've been very agile and um, we were able to pull together people very quickly. People work together in a very in, in teams very easily. They've been very engaged. Uh, people have just been trusted to get on with what's required. You know, we didn't have any big long list of next steps from this from this group yeah. that we had. Um, people went away. They knew what they needed to do. Um, they then came back. They'd done it. 
Uh, the policy was there, the document was there, the communication had been written, it had been issued. Yeah. Uh, and, and it really showed you know, the best side of everybody working together on a common aim. And um, I think it just shows us what we, what we can do. Yeah, I, I think so many of the examples are surprising. You know, people I think generally are, are pleasantly surprised about how effective working from home has been for, you know, several thousand people that uh, the technology, although the, you know, the early glitches has worked incredibly well. Um, you know, the creativity of our workforce, I think, has, has, has brought a smile to everyone's face, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I mean some, of the, some, of the, some of the practical examples of uh, to protect people from social distancing and uh, be it traffic light systems for, for, for people to uh, uh, tape and uh, uh, barriers in control pulpits and all those great examples of people say what can we do to implement these controls and how best can we do it quickly and effectively um, and we've got lots of pictures and examples of all of those things that people have done and we've tried to share them across the organization and I think that's been another good example of where people have shared lots of things and uh, part of the effective communication uh, they pick them up and then put them in their own sites. Which, yeah uh, and we talked to uh, Joe Lane of course a couple of weeks ago from procurement and the amount of work that has gone on in that function has been immense uh, I think you'll recognize in terms of making sure that people on site did have you know masks and sanitizers and you know cleaning services. I think I think that was I mean that was you know from early days that was one of the real hot hot spots is that obviously we need um, PPE or RPE for a number of our type of operations to keep our people safe and with the tremendous pressure worldwide for for masks yeah. the procurement people have been working extremely hard trying to source the right type of mask for the right type of activity in a in a marketplace which has gone you know as a ballistic hasn't it yeah yeah that's right yeah it has been an incredible couple of months in so many aspects and uh, of course, as you mentioned, it is difficult not to, to start thinking about, you know, what the future will look like and what life will be after lockdown or, you know, get starting to get people back into work and markets to pick up. And, you know, I know the content of these calls is probably starting to quieten down now, Ian, isn't it, as we get this new new normal, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. You, you've now you've now got another group or number of groups which is starting to look at what that return to the workplace piece looks like uh, or, or you know when the governments allow us or when markets demand it well, that looks like another piece of work uh, coming yeah. your way Ian. Yeah no so, so no you're right is that, is that um, I mean the calls the daily calls gone to three times a week to now two times a week as we've uh, things become uh, normal or in, in the current current normal if you like yeah uh, but you're right the focus has now sort of changed to um, if we are going to bring people back into the workplace because we need them to come back to do a certain role or a certain a certain uh, job, um, what facilities do we then need to put in place to make sure that they're safe? So we need to take some of the practices that we've done in our factory areas and in, in, in the pulpits and then put them into our office areas. So um, whether it's how many people can be in an office area, do we need barriers, do we need one-way systems upstairs and things like that. So there's a whole facilities as uh, part of it. And then obviously the people aspect because people have become a lot more flexible in, in the last few months. And um, yeah. so our, our HR colleagues are working on what does that mean for some of our working practices? Um, 
and work in developing up uh, those types of things and risk assessments for when people are, should come back to work or not. Yeah. Uh, and then we're also looking at uh, the communication side of things as we as we move forward, as well as technology. So do we have the right technology to keep, for example, maybe social distance or the technology for people working at home if they're going to continue doing that? Um, and and also then there's um, other groups that were were or subgroups if you like, yeah, uh, that we're trying to make sure uh, address some of these future things that we think we should be looking at. Yeah, and I guess the trick is in not, not to forget that we we aren't starting from scratch here, are we? You know, for for two months there has still been thousands of people turning up every day and every shift yeah. into the workplace and overcoming some of these uh, these issues about you know social distancing and technology and and managing the workspace and stuff. You know. That must be a major part of, of of what you're looking at is to say what are the lessons we can learn from from all those environments whether people have been at home or are at work what how, how do you collect all that information that, uh, about people's experience in the last two months and use it usefully well we've done it we've done a few uh focus groups or i think that's what you call them where we've asked line managers to talk to their teams and gather some of the feedback so whether it's from somebody who's been furloughed or whether it's somebody who's remained in the workplace over this period or whether it's people who have been uh, working at uh, working at home, and so that's been gathered from from one of the work streams, and that'll feed into the into the discussion then about what's the uh, how have people found it, and uh, what can we what can we learn from that? Yeah, and of course it's good to be prepared. And the danger is, one of the dangers is that uh, as soon as you start talking about returning to the workplace, people get very excited because I think. Yeah, most of us are fairly desperate to get back back on site, um, and we, and we have to kind of calm that enthusiasm because it could still be a little while away, couldn't it, Ian? Uh, de- no, def- definitely, um, and I can appreciate that because some people have uh, adapted and really like the the working from home approach, um, but there's others who really do not like it, and uh, as you say, are desperate to come back into the office. So. We understand that, but um, we really need to, you know, as you say, calm that down because there's an approach we're going to follow. Um, it also got linked to the national guidelines, but also we need to have an internal review and, you know, to judge whether or not somebody needs to come back to the workplace uh, or, or can they continue to work effectively and safely from, from, from home. So that's all coming out and hopefully we'll have some communication around that um, next week or early the week after. Yeah. Now, Ian, uh, I know your work is clearly far from over. In fact, maybe faith, you know, maybe it's not the, 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 the beginning of the end, but maybe the end of the beginning, uh, to coin a phrase. But uh, there's a huge amount still to do and make sure the business uh, and its people can get back to some uh, sort of normality, some new normality, maybe. Uh, and I'd like to say to you, you know, on behalf of those of us who were on the on the group in your in your merry band of men and women, uh, thank thank you personally for your for your own guidance, professionalism, expertise, and, and maybe humanity as well. Um, and on behalf of everyone on the business, I'd like you know maybe thank that group uh, for paddling so hard under the water uh, to make sure that we were guided through uh, some of these most difficult times. And I know it's far from over and we are moving into a new phase, but I think uh, there's a huge amount of credit to, to some of these people who have been down the middle, uh, some of the unseen heroes. No, I think I think that all all of them did a great did a great uh, a great job. And as you say, we're not it's not finished yet, and a lot of people are still working hard. So I'd like to thank all the members of the group as well to uh, that uh, contributed. And I think without them, and then obviously everybody who did that, who then cascaded it, and then all those people in the individual teams who managed the crisis on their local plants, 
think it's been a massive team effort to uh, to try and manage us through this particular uh, troubled waters, should we say. Yeah, and uh, I have a feeling, Ian, that uh, in the coming weeks and months, we might be uh, giving you another call and uh, getting an update on uh, on how things are going as we hopefully progress back to uh, to some sense of normality. So, No problem, Tim. So, whilst the impact of the COVID virus is far from over, the company, with the help of people like Ian, has managed to steer its way through some stormy seas. The challenge now, without getting ahead of ourselves, is to start looking a little further into the future, rather than just to the next day. If today's podcast made you prick up your ears and get your steel industry juices flowing, why not subscribe to Steelcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from? You can listen to previous episodes from around the UK, and hear from more proud and passionate steelworkers. See you next time when we delve into another part of one of the UK's longest standing, most essential and best loved industries.